Thank you, Mark. What a great honour to be asked to come and share today. 25 years of wonderful service and success. A success measured in the lives of people and the coming of the kingdom of God into people's personal daily lives and experience. When Mark and Ros came, it was a small church that had been through so many things. But one of the things which I saw begin was to change the language of this church, to change it from what it was to what it could become. My mind went back to a story, and as I was asked by Mark to come and share this weekend, I immediately was thinking of Nehemiah, and of course that's the story of broken down walls of the city of Jerusalem. And he had to pass through many difficult times. In fact, he he sent for a report on what was happening to Jerusalem and the report came back and said, the walls are broken down and the gates are burned with fire. The survivors of the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And so he says, I wept for many days and I fasted and prayed. And Nehemiah's story was a tremendous story of leadership and courage so, so much so that in 52 days they were able to entirely rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. If you've been to Jerusalem, you'll see the enormity of that task which is in front of them. But he was able to pull together 42,360 people who'd come back into that broken down city and in troubled times against troublemakers and enemies, against negative voices and all sorts of trouble. They rebuilt the wall and re-established God's covenants. Nehemiah re-established the feasts of the Lord and the people confessed their sins and their waywardness, which was what had caused their downfall in the beginning. And they made a solemn covenant with God that they would keep what God had asked them to do with their whole heart. They re-established worship in the house. They re-established singers and worshippers to be singing day and night in the house of God. The Levites and the priests and the gatekeepers of the city were reinstated to the place. But in Nehemiah chapter 13, as we get to the close of the book, we see that the importance of the language that uh, Nehemiah had placed over these people, the importance of the language of the house. And today we're going to share about the language of this house as we come together. The Bible says that after 12 years, um, Nehemiah had had briefly gone back again to where he was under King Artaxerxes and uh, it was his 20th year when he came and did the restoration work and on the 32nd year, uh, 12 years later, Nehemiah gets word that things were not as they should be. There was trouble, there was disobedience, there were manipulative priests, there were disrespect for God's laws and God's presence, there was disrespect for the Sabbath. The very things that had caused the original decay were there. And so it was so important for Nehemiah to re-establish the language of the house. And of the many things he found, the last thing, the key thing that troubled him the most was found in Nehemiah chapter 13 verse 24 where he said, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one or other of the people. And language really is the voice of a culture. And when we speak about the language of this church, the way that Mark and Ros came, and I am so thankful for the language that they put in place in the church. 
the language of the kingdom. And I, I've sort of identified five parts to the language. I'm terrible with languages. Helen's pretty good at it. I'm hopeless with language, human languages. Paganism had a language. And that's what had entered back into the house, even after such a great effort. The whole spirit of paganism through the language that they spoke, their false gods, their idolatry, their lawlessness. And it was reflecting the culture back in so that the children who were born in that place to to the fathers who had married back into the world and back into the Ammonites and the Moabites and these other tribes of pagans and, and their children could not even speak the language of that place. We could, you know, think that we're in a modern times and thankfully we don't have paganism anymore. But of course, you know, everything has a language. Humanism has a language. Socialism, communism, capitalism, materialism. There's a language out there. There's a language which doesn't belong in this place. There's a language amongst people in the earth that doesn't belong in this place. There's a language of, of, of the political systems and the economic systems and different things that don't belong here. This place is under the language of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that I really, as I said, I'm so thankful for is that uh, this new language of this church, which has been bought by Mark and Ross, because language expresses the culture of the kingdom. Mark, I know that you've been pretty interested in the five love languages. And I know that one of your uh, things in the five love languages is giving. But I've got five different languages. And these are the languages which I see in the house. And the first is the language of honour. The very first thing I observed, because I personally was immediately honoured by Mark and Roz when they first came, the first language that I heard from them was a language of honour. Back to my ministry. I heard a language of honour to those who had gone before. I see Leon here this morning. and I heard a voice of honour to the uh, Slavic people, to the people from other nations who founded this church. I saw the journey uh, that took uh, the church back to Poland, amongst the people of Poland who, who, who were the founding people in this church. And that language of honour is so powerful in this house I don't want this language to be changed by the language of the world. Romans 12.10 says, be devoted to one another. Or in the New King James it says, be kindly affectionate to one another. Be devoted to one another in love and honour one another above yourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 speaks about honour very powerfully in the way the church works as a body. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 12 says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is the body of Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptised into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body of Christ is not one member but many. It goes on to say from verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The hand cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker or lesser are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked honour. So that there should be no division in the body 
but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you are a part of it. This honour principle is what holds the body of people together. It's what builds a person's life. It's what builds our confidence. This honour which is here in the language of this church, the language of honour, in the way it talks and behaves and embraces people, it's a, it's a magnificent language. I will treat you with honour in preference above, more active and genuine than I seek even for myself. In honour preferring one another, the language of honour. The second language which became abundantly clear in the church that I have seen that Mark and Ros brought into the church uh, was the language of grace. The language of grace. Colossians 3 verse 12 through 16, Therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were called in this one body. And be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The language of grace speaks with a profound softness into every circumstance. There, we, we have seen, we've passed through times where we could have reacted without grace. And sometimes that would even be understandable. But what's supernatural about this spirit of grace is it always works with a softness and a gentleness. And it makes our human reactions stop and our spiritual reactions begin where we respond with grace. The Bible says we are ministers of the grace in which we stand. Whoa. Thank God for the language of grace which is in this church. The third language that I see and I'm actually most excited about here is the language of love for God's house. This uh, is what keeps you going. This is what motivates, keeps happening, keeps moving you forward is your love for the house of God. And of course Nehemiah had this great passion so we come to our story here. For the glory of God and all the house of God. You know, after that short period of a few years of the massive reconstruction the people's incredible testimony the covenant that they remade with God and their promises and said they will keep it with all of their hearts well here were four major issues first one was the Ammonites Moabites had moved back into Jerusalem and the real issue there was a spirit of compromise. Now the second one is very important and it's all there in chapter 13. Was that Eliashib the priest had converted the storehouse into quarters for Tobiah to live. You might remember Tobiah was one of the real enemies of the rebuilding of the wall. He was the one who mocked and persecuted and came against Nehemiah in his construction. And, and the one that had led the rebellion against Nehemiah, now the priest had prepared a special place for him right there in the temple. But the place that he prepared was the place where, where the, everything was gathered for the service of the house. 
because Nehemiah had reinstituted singers and worshippers and gatekeepers and Levites and people to minister to the people. But the real issue was this, that those people, the singers, the worshippers, the gatekeepers, the Levites, the ministers to the house, had all left their place and gone back to their fields again. That's what was wrong. That's what was wrong with the whole uh, situation they were in was that the most important and profound things which focused on the presence of God, the house of God, of it being there for the glory of God, all of those things were compromised and in its place had moved terrible things. Of course, the third problem Nehemiah faced was the, the, the disobedience of the people. They had forgotten the law, they'd forgotten their promise, the Sabbath, the offerings, the new wine and oil. And now the traders were at the gates and people were bringing all the stuff from, from, from merchandising and they were merchandising on the Sabbath and all of those things. And the real issue is that the very sins that had contributed to the, to the downfall of Jerusalem at the beginning were back in full swing once again. But the main thing was the men had married pagan wives from Ashdod and Ammon and Moab, as we said, And that real issue that he saw was that the children could not even speak the language of God's house. Now this is something that came upon him with a passion and it's quite humorous the way he dealt with it. He said he beat them up and he cursed them and he pulled out their beards. I'm not joking. And he commanded them, never, never, never will you do this again. Will you go out amongst the pagans and bring that culture back into my house? There was a defensiveness here which was quite powerful. They broke their promises. The place no longer looked like God's house. The whole place no longer worshipped like God's house. The place was on the same road to destruction that they'd been delivered from. But now the house was speaking a confused language. And one of the great passions for the house of God and one of the things that I see as a massive success here at Macquarie It's not only that the language is right, but the language disperses amongst us. That we're speaking the same thing. Here in Colossians chapter, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10, Paul speaks this powerful thing. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus, that you all speak the same thing. That there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Now your heart and your words can never be separated. So he's talking about the, 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 that we all speak the same thing and he underlines it with the reality that your hearts have to be in this. And this great passion for God's house that I sense, I, I'm proud of you, Mark and Ros. I'm proud of the language that you have for this house. There is a time to rebuke. There is a time to correct. There's a time to do things that no one wants to, and tough calls that we have to make sometimes. But what is it that drives this? Is it our ambition or is it some foreign language? No, this is all part of this glorious language that says the language of God's house is what lives here. The language of God's house will not, will not uh, allow a, a foreign language to come and affect and come in and cause division and confusion. And I'm proud of that, that, that clear, clear, crystal clear language that we won't compromise here. This is a church of grace. This is a church that embraces the grace of God, that embraces honour, 
that embraces everything for the presence of God. We won't chase the singers out. We won't compromise the worship, the things of the Holy Spirit. The fourth language is the language of encouragement. Wow, how powerful this is. I put that one in the middle, that one about love for God's house, so you don't think it's all sweet and airy-fairy. Because <laughs> it's not. It's, ne- it's not all sweet. And it- you probably thought, oh, why is he talking about all this foreign language stuff? Because it happens. And it always happens the same way. Always. Sometimes you do feel like pulling beards out <clears throat> and scruffing them up. The language of encouragement is so great. Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25, let us consider one another in order to stir up love, in order to stir up good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and much more as you see the day approaching. For sure, this is a place where you will be stirred up and encouraged up to be everything that God wants you to be. For sure, that's the culture, that's the language of this house. Even though Mark says, just come and sit for a while and see what God does, under the surface is, let's see what God does. (laughs) Let's see what God does with you. Because this encouragement draws people up. You raise me up, you raise me up, that I can stand on mountains and walk on troubled seas. This house shares experience and gladly opens the door for people to excel and even go greater than we can go. We want people to go on bigger and greater. Anything pioneered, a little trail through the wilderness, is made so that a highway one day will come in its place. Everything that's breaking new ground or speaking a new thing is always there so that a highway can be built in the place of that little trail. And that's the nature of this language of this house, powerfully accented with encouragement. There's an accent of the language of this house. It's got its own accent. You know, you can pick a New Zealander. You can pick a New Zealander anywhere they go, can't you? In the South Africa, I'm sorry. Except, doesn't matter. You can pick their, I was going to mention cricket, but I don't think it's... (laughs) And I wouldn't be surprised if, the, if it's around us that it says, you're a Macquarie person, aren't you? People say, how do you know that? Oh, there's this accent in the language of your life. And we've got a peculiar accent here, and it's the, it's the accent of encouragement. It's actually unfamiliar in this time, in this culture, in this nation. It's an unfamiliar accent, is the accent of encouragement, where people are actually told who they are, how great they are, how much we believe in them. How great are God's purposes for them? And the Apostle Paul practiced this, practiced, did this, said this, wrote this, wrote this, wrote this. Didn't he, Neville? He just said it and said it, didn't he? (laughs) That we might know, that we might know that God is encouraging us up to what he has made us to be. The language of encouragement. This house is powerfully accented with encouragement. The language of encouragement always gathers people around it. If you went to a place and you were, and you were made to feel awful, <laughs> you won't want to go back or you'll only go because of faithfulness. There's probably a lot of people sitting in churches today who are there because they're faithful. 
That's not a good enough reason. I don't think it is. I don't stay in my marriage because I'm faithful. (laughs) I love my marriage because my marriage encourages me. There's the right language there. I love being in my marriage. You don't stay in your marriage to your church just because you're faithful. Faithful's great. Faithful is awesome. But it's not a standalone thing. It's built on something, you know. And encouragement powerfully gathers people around it. And it carries the power to make positive change. Absolutely. It stirs people up to greater things, assembling yourselves together. Because of the importance. When, when the, in Hebrews it said that little verse about not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, it was using a military type of language and it's talking about that there's an importance in this. This encouragement is very, very important. This stirring up and gathering together to stir up and elevate is very important because it's actually about the battle of this world. Lastly, the language of transformation. This to me, I wanted to finish with this language in the, in the five languages of Macquarie, the languages of this house, the language of transformation because there's a language that says to us all, this is the way. That's clarity. This is the way. This is the way we're going. This is the way forward. This is the way for your life to be blessed and successful. The language of transformation engenders confident people. People who know the way. They know that their church is passionate about them being all that God has called them to be. And I think about the people, the many people that Mark and Roz have raised up and the fact that actually here in this house, uh, I would say that there's very few churches in this nation who've got people um, who have served so long in the one church. It's simply amazing. I look among the folks here. It doesn't mean the ones who've come recently are less valuable, not, not for one second. But what it does say is that the ones who've come recently will still be here in 20 years as well. (laughs) Which is so powerful and so wonderful. The people that Mark and Ros have raised up. Sons and daughters of this house. People who've come to Christ here and have become leaders here. I think through the church plants that you have, the leadership college, the chaplains, the men's and women's ministries, the children's ministry, the creative team, the worship teams, the community engagement, how this church has absolutely endeavoured to identify, equip and deploy people into their place in the body of Christ. The language of transformation speaks in such a way that it engenders confidence in the people. But this is what I want to finish with, so you you can tinkle away. (laughs) Thank you. But for you, Mark and Roz, I believe that actually your greatest joy is when the language that you desire for this church becomes the language that we all start to speak and live, when it actually becomes our language. It's magnificent when what you've believed and worked towards becomes the language of those who take it on as theirs. This is your language. 
This is our language. This is Macquarie's language. This incredible language of honour. In honour preferring one another. Serving one another. A language of grace. A language of love for God's house and a language of encouragement. And a language of transformation. I wonder if we can all stand up together and finish this beautiful service with our own thankfulness to God for the language of this house and our commitment to the language of the kingdom of God all over this house for what we're building and what we're becoming. And what we don't only say, well, that's the language of Macquarie, we say that's the language of my life. I will follow and speak with this same accent, a language that is accented with honour and grace, encouragement, transformation and love for God's house.